If you would, turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are of infinite worth, infinite value, infinite beauty. We have sung these songs about Christ, our Savior, our King. Lord, that you would open our eyes, expand our thinking, delight our hearts with the truth that we read, uh, that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, help us to love Jesus and love him all the more and find our our deepest joy and satisfaction in him. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Uh, Star winner on WordPress wrote this of John Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller, an Ohio native, started Standard Oil. Rockefeller was at one point the world's richest man and first ever American billionaire. Just a second. We'll let that, is that good? Rockefeller was at one point the world's richest man and first ever American billionaire. Considering he was a billionaire in the early 1900s, he is still considered to be the richest person in modern history. When a reporter asked him how much money is enough, he responded, just a little more. Rockefeller, like all of us, was searching for something that would truly satisfy him, something that would truly bring him joy Unfortunately, that joy proved elusive for him. Today we want to talk about how the battle with sin is actually a fight to truly find that elusive joy. How our fighting of sin is to pursue the greatest joy we could ever hope to have. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 26 is where we are. The book of Hebrews is written to a Jewish audience. Some may be saved, some probably not saved, uh, but they are coming into contact with the gospel and remembering their Jewish heritage, and they are deciding, some of them deciding to go back to their Jewish ways, Jewish practices, and reject and leave the gospel, the truth of who Christ is. And so the author writes this book to them to demonstrate how Christ is both the fulfillment of these Jewish practices and better than these Jewish practices. He goes through the book and he talks about how Jesus is better than angels, how Jesus is better than Moses, better than the Sabbath, better than the high priests, better than the old covenant that Moses originally gave, better even than the Old Testament sacrifices. The whole book is that Jesus is better. And then he closed the book with, will you act on this? If Jesus is better, will you act on that truth? And chapter 11 is this, what's called the Hall of Faith. 
It's the models of those in the Old Testament who have done so, who have acted on this faith, who have believed that Jesus was better, that God's word was true and his promises were faithful and chose to act on these truths. I would encourage you in your own time at some point to study Hebrews 11. It is a beautiful beautiful passage and intricate. It is actually a walkthrough of the entire Old Testament, demonstrating from different people how they have pursued the Lord, trusting him in faith, trusting him that that God was better. It starts in verse 3 and focuses on creation, Genesis 1 and 2. In verse 4, it goes to Cain and Abel. Verse 5 is Enoch, who walked with God. Verse 7 is Noah and and the flood. Verses 8 through 19 are Abraham and Sarah and the many different ways they demonstrated faith through their lives. Verse 20 is Isaac. Verse 21 is Jacob. 22 is Joseph. We just finished the entire book of Genesis walking through that. Verses 23 through 29 is on Moses with the Exodus Verses 30 through 31 is the times of Joshua. Now that, that, that generation faithfully obeyed God, trusted God, and entered the land. Verse 32 is about the time of the judges. Now the, the generation was very disobedient, but there were those who were faithful to trust that God was better even among that wicked generation. Verse 33 is talking about the times of the kings and the prophets. You have things talking about like Daniel, where there's the shutting of the mouth of lions or, or them in the fiery furnace quenching the power of fire. The whole chapter goes through the Old Testament giving demonstrations of faith. This belief that Jesus is better. God is good. His promises are true. He will give us what we need and we trust him. He is better than everything, even our very lives. And today we want to focus on just a very small part of this. Just three brief verses focusing on Moses and his view that Christ is better. We're going to talk about three truths about sin and true joy. Three truths to living a satisfied life. So first we'll start with our our truth about sin. Look at verses 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses had a great opportunity. We see in verse 23, his parents are credited with having this faith that led to them disobeying Pharaoh's edict. The king, king gives, gives this edict in early on in Exodus saying that all the newborn sons of the Jewish race should be killed. They're getting scared. The Egyptians are scared that the Israelites might take them over. So he gives this edict, and yet his parents choose to disobey, trust God instead. They put him in the basket. He's on the Nile, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him, brings him into Pharaoh's household. He is made a grandson to the highest ruler in the land of that day, the king, Pharaoh. Not only is he in this prominent position of power, he also has great wealth offered to him. Verse 26 says that there's these, these treasures of Egypt that he had. As the king's grandson, it was all available to him. He had the power, the prestige, the ability for ease of life, comfort, whatever he wanted. And yet it says it would be sin for him to pursue this. Not that power is necessarily sinful, not that riches 
are inherently sinful in themselves, but it said it would be him for him. It would be sin for him. Why? Because God had called him. We see in Exodus, God meets him and says, Moses, you will take my people out of, uh, out of Egypt. Bring them into the promised land. For him to not do so would be direct disobedience to God's call and plan for his life. What do we... What do we do is based on what we want, what we believe. What we do is based on what we want and what we believe. We want pleasure and believe the actions we take will bring us the greatest satisfaction. Whatever we believe is going to satisfy us, that is the thing we will pursue. We naturally pursue our own joy, our own benefit, things that, that give us the greatest desirable factors. We will naturally pursue the things that we see as best for us. A good illustration of this is Eve in Genesis 3, 6. She's talking with the serpent, conversing with him, and says after this, so the end of this conversation, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for, good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She, she looks at this tree, sizes it up, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But she realizes this is going to offer me benefits. There is something I'm going to get out of eating this fruit. It will bless me, be good for me, at least for a time. Sin is pleasurable. Scripture is clear as to that, and it's necessary we remember that. It does offer a temporary joy. But it is only temporary and sin's pleasure comes at a very high cost. Sin does not satisfy long term. We each know this to be true. We've gone to bed at night and, and felt the guilt from our sin. We felt the, the wasted day behind us. We felt the hopelessness of having pursued lesser things. When we understand this in our society, we keep pursuing the same sin, and we need more and more of it to be satisfied because it is less and less satisfying. That's where we talk about addiction and drugs and gateway drugs. Why do people pursue this lesser drug and pursue a heavier? It's because the first one stops satisfying. I have to pursue more and more and more to get the same feelings of joy that I wanted originally. It's no longer giving them to me. We are empty. Jeremiah 2.5 says this, Thus says the Lord, What injustice did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty? They pursued, it's talking about idolatry, they pursued these idols. And Scripture talks about them being this block of wood with, with eyes and a mouth, but it can't see anything, it can't say anything, it can't do anything. It's empty, it's hollow, it's, it's meaningless. And it says they pursue it, and as they pursue it and its emptiness, they become empty. Their, their soul is carved out within them. He goes on in verse 13, For my people have committed two evils. They have hewn for themselves cisterns, Broken cisterns that can hold no water and forsaken the fount of living waters. Everything that was needed for them, this, this refreshing, cool water, they reject it and go do their own thing and it does not satisfy. They are left empty. 
hopeless. And why is this? I believe Ecclesiastes 3.11 answers that. The author writes, He, God, has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. You have eternity in your heart. There is an eternal void within you, and we each one try to fill that with all sorts of things. Pleasure, people uh, thinking highly of me, power, prestige, wealth, satisfaction, all these sorts of things. We try to fill that void with. It's like throwing little pebbles into the Grand Canyon. It doesn't satisfy. This eternal void can only be filled by that which is eternal. Namely, God himself. We, we are made for a Genesis 1 and 2 relationship, that walking with God in the cool of the day. We are built for relationship, and yet Genesis 3 breaks that, and now we have this hole that we are longing to have filled that only God can satisfy, and all these other things leave us feeling empty and broken instead. Sin not only is only temporary, temporarily satisfying, it ultimately leads to death. James 1 verse 15 says, Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. It's the illustration of the little child drinking antifreeze. It's this quote from the poison control. Antifreeze is tricky. The natural taste of it is sweet, and the colors are exciting like those of Kool-Aid. For several hours after someone swallows it, everything seems fine. But the body is busy breaking it down into a number of substances that affect your blood chemistry, nervous system, and kidneys. After a few hours, someone poisoned by antifreeze may seem drunk or groggy and complain of stomach distress. After a few more hours, the victim may go into a coma. The kidneys can be damaged and stop making urine. If the victim survives, there may be permanent damage to the kidneys and brain. It tasted so good going in, and it kills. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So if sin won't bring a lasting, true joy, what will? That brings us to point number two, truth about Jesus. Look at verse 26. It says, Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Christ, riches, reward. Jesus is eternally satisfying. In fact, that satisfaction with him is the whole focus of our salvation. Most of us know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And oftentimes, and I believe this for a while, it was just talking about, I live forever. And that's true, that's part of it. But later on in the Gospel of John, in verse, chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus defines for us, what does eternal life mean? He says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, 
whom you have sent. You are saved for relationship with God. You are brought back in salvation to a Genesis 1 and 2 state. Perfect harmony and unity. Full fellowship. We are saved to have the eternal joy and blessing of being in relationship with God. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46, give a great picture of this. Jesus is giving a number of parables about the kingdom of heaven. And he tells two in these, these three brief verses. He talks about the parable of the treasure hidden in the field and the parable of the pearl of great price. And both of them, someone is going along, a guy is going along, he's digging in this field and uncovers this treasure. And in that day and age, you couldn't just take it as your own. You had to own the property to get the treasure in it. So he goes and he sells all that he has buys the field for that treasure. The, the guy is in the pearl merchant shop. He finds this one great pearl. As he goes and he sells all that he has for that pearl. They, they both recognize there is something of such great value. It is worth me giving up everything to get that. It is so much more valuable. I will give it up. And it says actually for one of them, they give it up with joy joyously go and sell all that they have. They take everything and they get rid of it happily, gladly, because this is so much more valuable than any of the stuff that they had. Jesus is worth selling everything for. He is worth everything. The question then is, do you see Jesus as better than everything else in life? What you value, you will enjoy, delighted, and be satisfied by. As you see the value of Christ, you will find your greatest desires for joy and delight satisfied in him. That's just not my word. Many others have found this to be true as well. David in Psalm 63.3 says, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you it, better than life. Paul, Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. I give it all away gladly because I get Jesus. Asaph in Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My physical well-being and health can be gone. I have enough in Christ Everything else in this life can be gone. I have enough in Christ. The Bible is rich with examples. Eleven of the twelve disciples pursued Jesus to their very end. Ten martyred, one exiled until his death. We know of martyrs throughout the ages, such as Polycarp in the early church. We know of Christian martyrs today and in foreign Muslim countries that are being killed for their religion, for their faith in Jesus. And one other one within the last 50 years from the United States. I love this example of Jim Elliot. 
Jim Elliott was born in Portland, Oregon on October 8, 1927. He was not well known during his life. He was passionate about people coming to know the Lord, which led to him at the age of 25 giving up many modern comforts and planning to go live with the Quechua Indians, a tribal people of Ecuador, hoping to reach them with the gospel. In their early attempts to connect with the tribe, he and four other missionaries landed their plane on a beach near the tribe. But instead of being welcomed by them, they were savagely attacked and killed with spears. This happened even though the missionaries had a gun because they decided they would rather die than kill the people they wanted to see saved. Later on, after his death, his diary was published, and these are a few quotes from it that are just phenomenal, showing his his value, that Jesus is better. He said, If we are the sheep of his pasture, remember that sheep are headed for the altar. I seek not a long life, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliot's value was set firmly on Christ. He would agree with Martin Luther, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. He is of infinitely more value. Matthew 10, 29, Jesus says, He who has found his life will lose it, but he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is infinitely valuable and thus our highest joy. So we've talked about the truth about sin, its temporary pleasure, and the, the deep consequences it brings. We talk about Jesus as our full and, and hope and value that we can find, our highest joy. And that brings us third here to the truth about the battle. Why is the battle with sin a fight for your true joy? Look at verse 26. It has this word, considering. Considering the reproach of Christ. Moses is making a value judgment. He looks at sin and he looks at Jesus and he weighs them out on a scale. But notice, he doesn't just look at sin and look at Jesus. He looks at the the pleasures of sin. He looks at the very best of sin and look at what he looks at of Jesus. says he considers the reproach of Christ. Moses takes the best of sin and the worst of Jesus and they don't even close to compare. Jesus is found far better at his worst. He is far better than sin can ever offer at its best. This value judgment, Jesus outweighs by far our sin. See, the battle with sin is actually a battle to see reality. It is a battle to see the true worth of Christ. God is only all-satisfying. He is ultimately the everlasting joy we can have. The only one who will supply that. He is the one, the only one who can fill that eternal void in our hearts that Ecclesiastes talks about. He fills it completely. 
And yet we oftentimes choose lesser things. It's the illustration of the small child who's offered a penny and a hundred dollar bill. And he looks at these, he, he considers, he makes a value judgment. And the penny is shiny and it's hard. It will be durable, last for a little while longer. It seems like a much better toy. It's going to bring far more satisfaction. And so he chooses the penny. He makes an error in judgment, lacking maturity. When he misses the true value of the bill, pursuing instead the temporary pleasure of the coin. Our joy is sometimes in something that's increased as the value of it is more and more recognized and understood. See, as this boy matures and grows, he starts to recognize this $100 bill is of way more value than the shiny penny. And as he understands this, he's able to make better and better decisions. Actually, every time you offer them, he will choose the $100 bill over the penny. And gladly, he doesn't even see the penny as valuable. It's, it's great to give up if I can gain the $100 bill. That comes with this maturity, this realization of the true worth and value of the object. And in this case, of Christ, the more we see of Jesus, the more we will recognize his value and the true joy he brings. John Piper talks about this, in a rather lengthy quote, but he talks about this term magnify, how we are to magnify Christ. It says, the word magnify can be used in two different senses. It can mean make something appear greater than it is, as with a microscope or a magnifying glass. Or it can be make something that may seem small or insignificant appear to be as great as it really is. This is what our great telescopes help us to begin to do with the magnificent universe which once upon a time spilled over from the brim of God's glory. So there are two kinds of magnifying. Microscope magnifying and telescope magnifying. The one makes a small thing look bigger than it is. The other makes a big thing begin to look as big as it really is. We are not called to be microscopes, but telescopes. Christians are not called to be con men who magnify their product out of all proportion to reality when they know the competitor's product is far superior. There is nothing and nobody superior to God. And so the calling of those who love God is to make his greatness begin to look as great as it really is. The whole duty of the Christian can be summed up in this. Feel, think, and act in a way that will make God look as great as he really is. Be a telescope for the world of the infinite starry wealth of the glory of God. That is true for our hearts. The more time spent with Jesus will give us a greater view of him in all his majesty and worth, which will lead to a greater and greater joy in us.
As we look at him and we start to spend our time seeing him, our eyes are open. We begin to understand this is far bigger God, this infinite God. I can just look at him and I start to get a bigger picture of who he is and what he's done. And my heart is overwhelmed with joy and delight and satisfaction in that God as I telescopically look at him and see him a little bit better. But there's more. The fight with sin, being a fight for joy, is not just magnifying Christ like a telescope, but the fight with sin is ultimately a fight for joy, not just in the future, but now. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against your soul. Sin is trying to kill you. Your sin is seeking your destruction. How do you view your sin? Do you tend to make light of it? Belittle it? Do you treat sin like the kitty cat that you, you pet and you feed and you put back in the cage when you, when you don't want it and you bring it out and you, you can control it? Do you treat it like the kitty cat when really it's the lion waiting to destroy you, wanting to maul and kill and take your life. Sin is battled by finding joy in Christ and to keep finding joy in Christ. Sin even presently seeks to rob you of true, lasting joy. Sin seeks to take your eyes off of the eternal, all-satisfying, all-valuable Jesus and instead place them on worthless, unsatisfying things that will never accomplish what you desire. My, my son is, is six weeks old, and uh, he, he cries when he's hungry uh, a lot. Even when he's not hungry, he cries sometimes. But... Uh, He's hungry, and you bring the milk, you have exactly what he wants, what he needs, and yet he has this habit of sticking his fist in his mouth and trying to suck on that thing, trying to satisfy this desire that he has. He longs for this milk. He's hungry. He's crying. He wants it, and yet he intend, instead of pursuing the milk that is offered him, he sticks his fist in his mouth and pursues it instead. What can never offer the satisfaction that he needs and wants? Sin is pleasurable for a season, but will ultimately only lead you to emptiness and death. Christ is the only all-satisfying thing that can bring you true eternal joy both now and forever. The hymn author is right. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, they grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As I look to Christ, the radiance of his faith, face shining out on me. And I begin to see that all these lesser little tiny flashlights, like comparing them to the sun, offer nothing. They have no desire to me when I have that bright aura of Jesus in front of me. So I'm called to look. Look to the sun and live. 
Are you pursuing your highest joy? And that leads here to a few applications as we close. A few questions for you to process through. Number one, are you seeking to deal with sin in your life or are you just sort of letting it fester? Are you writing it off as, as not that bad? Well, it's, it's not a big deal. Well, it's not really hurting anyone or affecting anyone. Are you treating sin like that kitty cat? I'll just put it in the cage and I can keep it under control. I'll just feed it a little here and there. Put away sin that your heart might not be enamored with lesser things that will ultimately not satisfy. These things will rob you of your true joy in Christ. Deal with it. Be done with it. That you might find lasting eternal joy. Number two, how much time do you spend with the Lord? Spending time with the Lord grows us in our comprehension of his all-satisfying, joyous worth. If you're not seeing him, you, you can't delight in him or love him. You, you need to see him. That's why we, we talk about reading your Bible and pray. The, the, the Sunday school adage, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. It's true. Not because there's some great mystical power in reading your Bible or in praying, but it's because you have relationship with the living God. These are the ways of interacting with him. And as you see him, your delight expands and you grow and you love him and you find joy. Pursue time with him. Do you meet with the church regularly? Are you here to fellowship? Are you sharing with others? Here's what God has shown me about himself. What's God showing you? How can I encourage you and how can you encourage me to see him as greater, as bigger for what he really is? The songs that we sing, do you think about them? Do you ponder the truth that they tell us about God and his majesty and his greatness? Or do you just sort of run on by them? God is awesome. Dwight L. Moody writes this, The Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. That's what we've been talking about here. You, you, you look at Jesus and, and the sin of this world, the, the things that I desire most, stop being so desirous. Or I pursue these things and I, I lose my focus on Christ. And he doesn't become as desirous as he should be, as he is worthy of being, as he is. Third, do you slow down to ponder the gospel and God's awesome grace and love shown toward you in it? There's nothing that excites the heart with Jesus faster than remembering him nailed to a tree, bearing the wrath of God, taking my place, God showing his undeserved kindness and grace Toward me, him on the tree, me free. The stripes, the wounds that he suffered bring my healing. Isaiah 53 talks about. Meditate in that, in that section of Scripture. Isaiah 53 is a great place to ponder what your Savior has done for you. Let that warm your heart and blow your mind with the extent of your God's love that he was pleased to crush him to save you. 
What a kind, gracious, good God. We are so undeserving, and yet he shows us this love. How could we not but love him and be amazed by him and wonder at him and his awesome grace toward us? Take the time to ponder the gospel. Let it excite and warm your heart. Christ is everything you need to be satisfied in this life and the life to come. He is the only one who can satisfy that God-shaped eternal void in your soul. Will you fight to put away sin? Will you seek to see him in his value and worth for all the joy he brings? He desires to satisfy you. Will you come and be satisfied? Will you fight for your truest joy? Let me pray. Father, you are of infinite worth. Even saying that does not express your value in in any way at all compared to to what and who you are. And yet, Lord, you have revealed yourself to us in your word. Help us to to love you, to to see you and and be delighted by you, that that our souls would be expanded, that, that as you eternally fill this void within us, that we would be delighted, satisfied now and forever that we would run from sin, that we would fight, and that we would do everything in our power to be done with sin, that we might find greater joy in Christ, and that, that Lord, we would be intentional to pursue Christ, to, 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 to do things that would put him before our eyes, that, that our hearts would be expanded, that our eyes would be opened, that our delight and satisfaction would be fully fulfilled in him. Father, you are worthy of, of worship, of, of great worship, of us being worshipers, and we We can only do so as we see Christ in reality for who he really is and are delighted by him. Help us to worship you well, we pray. We thank you for Jesus and we ask all this because of him. Amen.